Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. Well, we record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts well. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by Mountain Ops, making outdoor energy and performance nutrition to make you a stronger and healthier elk hunter. They have a full line of hunting-related supplements, including meal replacement shakes, multivitamins, pre-workout fuel, and post-workout recovery, and my favorite, their new performance protein bars that, by the way, are packed with 270 calories and 20 grams of protein, but contain less than 6 grams of sugar. Visit mountainops.com to learn more and to order, and be sure to use the promo code ELKTALK to save on your next order. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods, and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to RockyMountainHuntingCalls.com or BuglingBull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk Podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK, and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing 
Every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey... We are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Good morning, Corey. Howdy, Randy. How's life in beautiful Donnelly, Idaho? <laughs> we are in some kind of a uh, a December funk here, I think. It's December 2nd today, and we uh, we hit 53 degrees here yesterday. Yeah. We, it doesn't we happen. Got, we got to 61 yesterday, and I think the winds were 62. Wow. Oh, oh, we didn't have winds. I, uh, you know, my daughter Jessie blew out her ACL and she had surgery two days ago. And so yesterday was her first, and you know, she came home after surgery the night before last. And then yesterday was at home and we were sitting there about three o'clock and she said, you want to go sit out on the porch with me? And so we went out there in t-shirts and she was in a pair wow. of shorts and a t-shirt and we sat out on the, on the porch for about an hour <laughs> in the sunshine. <laughs> in, December, in December, in the mountains of Idaho. Yeah, <laughs> unheard of. Oh, gosh. <clears throat> well, I didn't but, do that. No, I was just going to say, it, it allowed me to get out, and with the with the ground being thawed, I was able to shovel a, a dump truckload of gravel onto my driveway by hand and allow it wow. to seed into the ground before it froze. So I was uh-huh. grateful for that. Well, that's good. Yeah. I, you got two. Wait, you got two teenage sons. What are you doing out there shoveling gravel? Well, one of them's away at college, or supposedly at college. I think he's at college. He's <laughs> <laughs> he's living on his own in a college town. We don't get report cards or calls from teachers anymore, so <laughs> we don't know. But other one, uh, other one, he's he's uh, in high school and just not there during the day. And then with basketball after school, it's dark when he leaves and dark when he gets home. And hmm. wow homework and everything they've got all sorts of excuses so i'm i'm there right. shoveling gravel yeah you want to know what i did yesterday i didn't shovel gravel i did what probably thirty thousand other non-residents of idaho did <laughs> i logged in it said log in early you'll be placed in a queue and at 10 o'clock everyone will be randomly sorted or whatever they call it so I log in, I'm sitting there sipping my coffee, working, getting some stuff done. I, I bet you I logged in at about 9.15, so I'm 45 minutes early. And all of a sudden, poof, at 10 o'clock, it says, you are now in the line. You are in line to purchase a tag from Idaho Department of Fish and Game. Once you complete your purchase, you will have to re-enter the virtual queue to complete any additional purchases. And then down at the bottom, here's here's, here's the disappointing part. (laughs) Your number in line is 14,269. You are Randy Newberg, and we don't want you hunting in Idaho, so we're going to put you at the back of the line. And uh, I sat there looking at it to see how fast it was going to move. And it didn't move very fast. It updates it. It says, the number of users in line ahead of you is now only 14,162. 
Your estimated wait time is more than an hour. I think it's my estimated wait time would have been about a week. Yeah. So, they I mean, should I, just pop up and say, don't waste your time. There will be no tags left by the time we well, get to you. Well, you know, that's kind of what that's code word for go hunt somewhere else, Randy. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I just said, all right, bad luck for me this year. I'm not at the front of the line. Any tag I might possibly be interested in is going to be gone before I get to the front of the line. And uh, so I just listened to everybody else complain about being in line, and I logged off, and I went and got some work done yesterday. So. <laughs> But uh, I was uh, my phone was blowing up for about an hour and a half there too. Well, even longer than that, but till about eleven thirty, and then they must have been sold out by about then because everybody, all the the texts and phone calls and messages were disappearing and dropping off about then. But man, up till then it was I'm number forty five hundred. Is there any chance I'll get this tag? And uh, you know, if I don't get this tag, what tag will still be left? What's a, what's a tag that nobody wants that's still a good tag? And I got the sneak river tag and everybody says it's terrible do you have any advice for it and <laughs> like, I, was, I was glad when they finally oh. sold out because i was trying my hardest to provide information and it's yeah. just tough it's it's not a good system i think the thing that's that's so frustrating is if two people want to hunt together they can't apply together. They can't log in together. Right. They can't purchase tag together. So you get one guy that's number 4,000 and he gets the tag he wants, but his buddy's number 9,000. He can't get that mm. tag. He can't even get a tag in a unit that's close by. And then they're trying to make plans on the fly and make a quick decision. And yeah. they just, they really need to go to a, to some kind of a draw so that at yeah, least just, people can apply together and say, Hey, we might not draw for the next three years, yeah. but at least when we do draw, we're going to build a hunt together yeah, I, I think most people, most non-residents would say, rather than burn hours of my time, yeah, my time's worth something. So charge me 50 bucks just as an application fee for this draw. Raise some more money, Idaho Game and Fish, <laughs> or Fish and Game. I mean, think about how much money they would make if they charged all of us 50 bucks. So 50 times 14... I don't think I was in the back back of the line because one time I logged back in just to see how long the line was, and I ended up at like twenty three thousand. So, wow. uh, yeah. So assume there's twenty thousand people trying to get in and do this at fifty bucks a pop. That's a million bucks. So <laughs> you didn't just say that in public, did you? Yeah, I did. <laughs> They're going to be I like, wait, I, what? How come our accountants didn't come up with that? I, I mean, I am an accountant, but I don't think you got to be Einstein to figure out that, hey, there's a huge amount of demand for this. We've screwed it up worse than a soup sandwich. So why don't, why don't we straighten it up, let everybody save their time, and make a million bucks? I, I mean... I don't know. Maybe I'm out in the weeds here, but, and here's the thought, you know, someone told me, well, then if it was a draw, a lot of the undesirable or, you know, least desired or less desired tags wouldn't get snapped up. You know what? If you gave non-residents five, eight, 10 choices and you went through all of their choices before you went on to the next person, I bet you every one of the tags would get allocated. And just yeah. do it as a drop. Yep. 
Yeah. And if you don't want to have a big window, you know what? Say, all right, you got to apply for this draw, you know, for the last week of November. That's when we're going to open it and we're going to do the draw December 1st. Yep. Just make it quick and easy. I mean, you've established that Idaho has a lot of demand for elk hunting and, and mule deer hunting. So capitalize on that. Totally. And make it, make it sane. I mean, you know, I, I I ended up getting more humor out of it than anything. I mean, I've hunted elk in Idaho the one time, uh, and I had a lot of fun. But it's not like the end of the world for me because <clears throat> I live in a state where I get an over-the-counter elk tag. So, you know, I'll have other places to go elk hunting. I was trying to think about say I was someone from Washington or California or wherever it might be, where I'm maybe not going to get to hunt elk every year. That would have been so frustrating. Yeah. It just, you know, you're trying to build your plan around it. You're trying to get your paid time off from work, everything else. And then somehow you got an agency that came up with this idea. They must have taken some people and put them in a room and said, we're not letting you out of this room until you come up with the worst possible solution for allocating our non-resident tags. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely probably, yeah, I mean, there's, I'm just, I'm on the website here looking and their website's even confusing to me as a resident trying to figure out because they, they're showing as of right now a whole bunch of remaining non-resident elk tags, but I know there aren't. And yeah, it says these counts are not updated in real time. Only sellouts right. are listed. Yeah. Here, here's the other thing. I logged in last night because I'm, I'm would like to come deer hunting in Idaho since you guys are close by. So I log in and there's a few deer tags left. And then there's this warning on the website that says, <laughs> caution. The hunt dates for 2022 are not yet finalized. Those will be available in April. (laughs) I'm like, so I'm looking at my cart. I'm ready to check out. It's $585 with the transaction fee and everything. And I'm like, but I don't even know what dates the seasons are for this year. What the heck? I'm not doing that. So I backed out. I'm like, you know, I blow $585 on some stupid stuff, but I'm not blowing it without knowing what dates I might actually get to go hunting. Yeah. So, I don't know. Uh, there's, I don't there's like got, it. I even said last year, I was like, okay, this, this was a debacle the way they did it. They have to change it. There's no way that anybody in their right mind would go through the same process again. And here we are. Went through it again yesterday. (laughs) Well, I guess what that proves is the demand for Idaho hunting is probably higher than the agency understood, which is a good thing, I guess, from a non, you know, from a resident standpoint or from an agency standpoint, but from a a non-resident standpoint, it's just like, come on, man, let's, let's get this dialed in a little bit better. But yeah, I'm looking at my cart right now. I got my non-resident hunting license in there for 185 bucks. And then you have to buy the $10 access depredation fee. And if I add a deer tag, let's see, I'm walking through it right now. Let's see what's available. 
one available, two available, <laughs> nine available, 26 available. Why do I have this feeling that if there's 148 available, that's probably not one I want at this point? Probably not. So, oh, yeah. well. It is what it is. You know, if this is the worst problem I have this December, (laughs) it's going to be a pretty good December. That's right. So I've just concluded that I'm going to end up doing a controlled hunt application in Idaho. There you go. This spring. Whether I'll do it for moose or whether I'll do it for uh, deer, elk, and antelope, I'm not sure. But I got a few months to sort that out. Yep. Yeah, the other one it. we you have. should do it for mountain what? goat. I should. Yeah. No, I look, Corey. I just turned fifty-seven years old, and I just wrapped up a Montana mountain goat hunt, and I am here standing on a stack of Bibles to swear that was my last late season mountain goat hunt. What? Yeah. Man, it's, is that rough? When, <laughs> yeah. I uh, I think on the last podcast, I'd mentioned that I had this mountain goat tag and I was coming back and forth from Minnesota, you know, with my mom's situation and that I'd walked away from this billy goat we called Grubby <laughs> on October 4th. I'd found him four times this year, uh, this hunting season. And there were three tags. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, no, I hope one of these other tag holders don't find him. Well, you know, the season progresses. The other two tag holders fill their tag. And I'm back in Minnesota just chewing my nails thinking, oh, no, I hope no one shot him. Well, come back and I do this mountain goat hunt the week before Thanksgiving. I think we started on November 15th or 16th, something like that. We go up there, and if you've ever hunted this part of southwest Montana, you know it's a snow trap. (laughs) There is so much snow up high where this guy was living in October that all you see are avalanche slides already. And it hasn't snowed for about four or five days, and there's not a goat track anywhere. So I hunted there for two days. And there still were no goat tracks after two days. So I'm like, all right, they must have migrated out of here. And now I'm going to have to go climb those icy rocks and cliffs and slip and slide and do all that stuff. So that's what we had to do. And but did we you find but Grubby? We, we found Grubby. <laughs> About four miles away, we found him. And you could tell it was him because of how filthy and dirty he was. But when he walked through this group, so the group that he was with, that he got tangled up with, had eight nannies and a bunch of billies, you know, usually three to four billies, but there were new billies moving in and out all the time. But when he came walking into the herd, it would be like a great big... Clydesdale horse walking into a pack, a small group of alpacas or something. <laughs> he was so big compared to the rest of them. Oh man, but it was a fun hunt. Treacherous, icy, slippery, steep. I just I don't need to put myself through that again. 
you know, that, what's the old saying? If you do it right, once is enough. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to let all the other non-residents apply for those Idaho non-resident goat tags. Huh. How's, how's that? Well, that's very generous of you. <laughs> Yeah, mostly it's my own uh, salvation, my own <laughs> fear of my own health and danger to to myself. Uh, but there's a couple things I learned on this hunt. One of the things I learned is that if you are hunting mountain goats in the cliffs and you can't get up above them and you have to shoot from down below, I don't care how much practice you have out at the range shooting these super steep angles from down below even with all these you know true ballistic ranging range finders and all this stuff it's really hard to get a good shooting position at a steep angle sitting in a foot of snow in a boulder field with two backpacks stacked on top of a pointy rock and trying to shoot a true ballistic distance of 330 yards, that's a line of sight distance of over 400. Yeah. That's that's a really steep angle, those of you who understand trigonometry <laughs> and geometry. And you can shoot right over the back of one three times, and he won't even move because you shoot so far over his back. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing you learned that from experience, not just guessing. Uh, this isn't asking for a friend. This is telling you from absolute true experience. And that's when people find out that I come from a logging family. Because <laughs> the audio is not salvageable in this. So we've spent five days scrambling up and down these cliffs and ice and snow looking and chasing this thing. And, uh, yeah, I shoot right over his back in the first shot. I, they were on this cliff up above us and I had all the time in the world. I did so many dry fires and practiced my breathing. The only problem was I was so relaxed. I was starting to get hypothermic being in the shade <laughs> of this North slope down in this snow pit. And, uh, you know, I got, Dale and Jonathan running our cameras. And then Adam Foss was there with Sitka and Gerber and a couple other companies doing photography, you know, taking actual still images, kind of like he was on our Alcon a couple yeah. of years ago. Well, Adam has his spotting scope out and he's got his, his phone, he's phone scoping it in slow motion. So the very first shot, I pulled the trigger and I hear a crack and everybody in unison says, you're way high. <laughs> I'm like, that can't be. That, that's impossible with a lot of colorful language. And Adam's like, no, I saw it in slow-mo. You, you hit that rock right above him. All right. I'm so confident in the first shot that I hold again, do everything. And the second shot, hits the same spot on the same rock and those guys give me the same report you're high no blankety blank way you you <laughs> you guys are, and you know how it is when you miss an animal high you never scare them you miss them low boy they take off running like crazy 
So finally the Billy, he looks around and he sees his nanny over there. So he takes about two steps. Now he's presenting even a, a more broadside unobscured shot. You're high again, Randy. <laughs> uh, you know the old saying, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got? Yeah. Well, that applies to shooting, too. <laughs> so, finally, we're making so much ruckus down below them, and I'm cussing so loud that they're like, you know, I don't know what that is going on down there, but what do you say we walk over into the trees here? This is a bunch of horse hockey. So they walked into the trees, and there went my chance after five days. Wow. So I'm convinced my rifle's off. I'm like, all right, my rifle's got to be off. So we're hiking out just before dark, get to the mouth of the canyon, and I look across and up against this great big dirt berm, there's this little rock under a spruce tree that has no snow around it. And there's this nice flat rock where I can get in a perfect prone position. I mean, lay down, everything's going to be perfect. This is going to tell me how high I am. So I tell Dale, get right behind me and mark me when I shoot at this rock. Pull the trigger and chip flies off that little rock. (laughs) I'm like, wait a second. Let me try this again. It's got to be high. Another shot. He's like, you hit the rock. So it wasn't the rifle. It was something about my shooting position, the way I was addressing the rifle or something. Because it was the most makeshift shooting rest I've ever tried to shoot from. I mean, we had these packs propped up on this pointy rock that's about three feet tall. And I'm sitting behind it at this super steep angle. It looked like a house of cards ready to fall down at any time. <laughs> oh, oh, well. So, <sighs> so you, so missed, grubby. you missed Grubby and he walked away. He walked away, never to be seen again until well, the next day. I was going to say, I, I need more of this story because I know there's more. Uh, so we uh, now we see him the next morning with this same group and he's fending off all these other billies but now we got to go way to the back of the canyon up this face to this spot where i shot i think it was my second bull elk and i vowed at that time i would never climb this ridge again well guess what everybody's like oh we got him today so we climb all the way up there and there's fresh snow, and it is so steep and so slippery. We're sliding, and we try to come down from above, and it's so steep that the cliffs, you can't see down below you. And one thing I've found is that people from British Columbia who mountain hunt, I want to take out a life insurance policy on all of them with me as the beneficiary. Because Adam Foss starts hopping from rock to rock out on these frozen cliff faces. And I can't even look. I told the crew, I said, look, you guys are employees. You are not going down onto those little spires there that drop 100 feet. That's an order from your employer. And Adam looks at me and he says, I'm an independent contractor. You can't tell me what to do. (laughs) (laughs) And off he goes. And uh, 
he sneaks back up. He's like, well, that was a waste of time. We can't see anything down there. It's too steep. I'm like, see, the old man isn't as dumb as he looks. So we make this big loop around. We we think we're going to be at their level, and there's this one cliff face that juts out a little more. So we thought we could maybe, since that jutted out from the face more, we might be able to look back in. We saw three nannies, and they take off running. And Bo and one of his uh, employees, uh, Jeremy, are over on the other side of the mountain across from us. And Bo is waving this orange vest, just going bonkers, like, get going, get going. I'm like, Bo, we can't run across these cliff faces. We're never going to catch up with a billy. So I tell the crew, we're dropping off this, getting back down in the canyon bottom, and we're going to go up to where we were yesterday, where I missed, and I'm going to build a real shooting rest this time because they're kind of headed that direction. So we do that. It takes us about an hour. We get there, and I start a logging operation, man. I am taking dead trees and stacking them and doing everything, (laughs) and everybody's kind of looking at me like, you know, the goats aren't really even, we haven't even seen grubby. You're kind of optimistic here building this shooting rest because what if we have to move? Well, I'm not moving. I, this, today, I'm building a good shooting rest that's not in a boulder heap. I'm going to have a big, wide shooting range, uh, you know, uh, a field of view. And he's either coming to me or heck with it. <laughs> well, I got my shooting thing all built and got packs against my back. Man, I am sturdy. And uh, about 10 minutes later, here comes Grubby. He stands in the same spot, the same rock. I missed him three times a day before. Really? Yeah. <laughs> but now he's now he's got a nanny behind him, so I don't dare shoot. Well, finally, the nanny, he chases her further up the cliff. So now I've got a, a ballistic range of 380 yards, 380-something, and a line of sight that's like 480 or something. <laughs> And I told the guys, well, if I can't hit him at 3.30, I'm not even, you know, let's just light up a smoke here and take a smoke break or something because I, I ain't even, even going to get my rifle ready for this opportunity. Well, kind of like, you know, elk doing the rut or whitetails doing the rut, they don't stand in the same place for very long. Yeah. And within about 20 minutes, he's chasing and doing all this stuff. So... I'd say it's 20 minutes later, he's standing right in front of that same rock again, and I range it, and I get 337 yards. I'm like, all right, now I got a good shooting rest. I'm not going to shoot over him, no way. Get everybody ready, the whole drill again. Boy, I'm, I, I can't even wait till they give me the okay. <laughs> <laughs> Boom, ping, Hi. Oh, like, my what? goodness. No, you were right over his back. All right. I'm going to drop it down about six or eight inches then. Adam's like, I think you parted the hair on his back, but you're still high. I'm like, what? <laughs> How can I be that high? So now the Billy, he's looking for his nanny again. So he walks to the left and he stands behind this tree for... 10 minutes and the whole time I'm on him 
And I told the guys, I said, all right, I'm going to shoot. I'm holding right at the bottom of his chest. And I know there's like 10 inches of hair under there but hanging off his chest. But if I'm that high, I don't know what else to do. So we wait and we wait and we wait. And again, now with the adrenaline rush and the cold and the sun being down behind the canyon wall, I'm starting to get the, the chatters with my teeth clicking. And wouldn't you know, he steps out from behind the tree out on this big rock and presents a quartering shot. And I'm like, are you guys ready? They're like, we're ready. <laughs> we're more than ready. Like, All right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I shoot and I heard a different noise and Adam's like, you drilled him. I'm like, what? I don't have to swear again? <laughs> Well, he starts climbing up the rocks, not like in a big hurry, just like he normally does. And he makes this great big loop. And then we see him going through the trees, walking over to where all the nannies were over on the in the trees off to our right. I'm like, wow, I don't see any blood. What are you talking about? I drilled him. Adam's like, trust me, you hit him perfectly. I'm like, well, he's already like 300 yards away, and he's not even limping or anything. Don't tell me I drilled him. I must have just scared him or something. So he comes and walks over to where these nannies are, and he stands on this rock that gives me a shot. But now I got to move about 15 feet to my left. So my great shooting rest that I had is no longer available to me so i gotta wing it i got i gotta lean up against this tree squat down on one knee put my pack underneath my elbow and he's standing there kind of quartering towards me and everyone's like now don't shoot one of the nannies i'm like look i'm not gonna shoot a nanny this looks like an elephant among a bunch of little shetland ponies i know which one i'm aiming at here but i don't see any blood on him so I aim, he's quartering, so I aim like right, aim right on the point of his shoulder. I shoot and he starts rolling down the cliff. And they're like, you drilled him again. And he gets hung up on a tree about a fourth the way down the cliff. And it's dark, getting dark. I mean, we got like 20 minutes left, but it's going to take us an hour to get up that cliff. So I feel bad for the camera guys because, you know, they're supposed to get all this footage and all this transition stuff. And uh, I'm just cussing that he didn't drop dead where I first shot at him. And uh, so I feel bad because I, I didn't even really give them a chance to film anything. I just start scrambling up the cliff and we get up there. And sure enough, he's dead. He's hung up there. And we got to figure out how to take care of this thing without us falling off this cliff. Because if you go to his right, you got about a 50-foot drop, either to your death or at least to be maimed and injured in a bad way. And uh, anyhow, when we dress him out, the very the first shot where I hit him was an absolute perfect hit. Really? It hit him low in the chest, took out the the lung on the, the driver's side, and the angle's so steep, it took out the top of the other lung on the passenger's side. And inside him, he's nothing but a big ball of blood and jelly in his chest cavity. But he made it 400 yards and was on his feet for three or four minutes. Wow. Before, well, and then the shot where he rolled down the hill... Again, I forgot to hold lower, 
So I'm aiming for the point of his shoulder. I hit him right in the base of the neck. Hmm. And that'll send any animal rolling down the yeah, shooting <laughs> through the neck. So. Anyhow, that was enough for me. It, by the time we got that thing skinned, you know, Buzz or uh, uh, Bo and Jeremy come running up, not running, struggling and, and slipping and sliding up the hill to where we are. The good news is with two camera guys, a photographer, me and Bo and Jeremy, there were six of us to haul that thing off the mountain. And uh, I don't think I had any gas left in the tank when we got to the truck close to midnight that night. But yeah. So that's uh, that's why I'm not applying. I'm not giving you Idaho guys any of my money for a mountain goat tag. You got your money's worth on that one, it sounds like. I tell you what, I I've shot that rifle so many times and killed so many things. I still don't know what I was doing wrong as I'm addressing the rifle at this super steep angle. It's got to be me because when I get on flat ground with a good rest, like always, you know, that thing's 200 yards, you know, two inch group. So operator error. Man, so. you know, the only time I've ever scoped myself with a rifle and, and mm-hmm. cut open my eyebrow <laughs> was shooting Brand on angle. a steep angle because you're yep. just, you can't get a good rest yep. and get your body in a, any kind of a position to be comfortable and, and yep. solid without changing that angle between your eye and the, the back of the scope. And yeah. It, it, it completely changes how your eye relief and your field of view is within the scope. Yep. And all I can figure is the way I was addressing the rifle and the concocted position I had to put myself in had to be doing something to my point of impact compared to my point of aim. Yeah. So. Anyhow, if I ever have another goat tag, which is the likelihood is zero, I'm going to find some way to practice at these ridiculously steep uphill angles. <laughs> but I don't need well, to worry about that. I so. don't know. You, you know, Alaska's deadline's coming up, and they have some mountain goat hunts. I know. You, could, you I, could apply for one of those. No. you got. First of all, you got to use a guide or second kindred. And I don't need a mountain goat that bad. <laughs> so... But, uh, yeah, I, have have you uh, had any inquiries about Alaska elk since we, I mean, last last podcast, we gave it a really good effort to try scare everybody away. <laughs> I, th- I think the first time, you know, my story was, was entertaining, evidently, because a lot of people liked that and commented about it. But I got a <laughs> handful of people that messaged me after that first time of telling the story saying, You've piqued my interest. Like I, I'm looking for an adventure. <laughs> oh, no. I'm looking for an adventure hunt like that. Oh. And so after the last time, you know, when I when I said, "Listen, this is not an adventure hunt. This is a life or death." I mean, it really could turn into that. And mm-hmm. laid that out there, it, it was a lot quieter. I did have one person that said, "You know, were you just trying to scare people off so you can draw the tag?" I'm like, "I will never <laughs> apply again." That's you can. <laughs> You can look at the list if you need to, but you can bet that I am not applying for an elk tag in Alaska, and I'm I'm not doing anything trying to save the draw odds there. If you apply for that tag, you get what you have coming to you. Yeah. And uh, so hopefully wow. uh, the the Alaska deadline is December fifteenth mm-hmm. uh, to apply up there, and you can apply for an elk tag. But I would strongly 
not encourage it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So go to the Alaska Game and Fish website, download the draw supplement, and it'll give you the hunt codes and everything else. And uh, know that you can apply for the same hunt six times. See, that's another thing Alaska figured out. Well, why are yeah. we only getting one application from these guys? We could get six times the amount of application fees. <laughs> and there's suckers like me who put yeah. the same first choice in all six times. And I pay them six times what I otherwise would have paid them. So. And that increases your chances by 6x. Except for the fact that everybody else is probably doing the same thing. (laughs) All it is is just a more expensive single application. Yeah. So it's kind of like saying that the odds of 1 over 2 are somehow not as good as 6 over 12. Yep. (laughs) It's just 1 is 6 times more expensive. Uh, Oh, wow. But I applied in Alaska for caribou and bison and all the other things I, I do. But... There there was a time or two I applied for elk up there, but after hearing your story and spending a lot of time up there and knowing how bad it is, it's like, all right, I've tried to follow Corey around places in Montana and New Mexico, and that guy is like a roadrunner or a wolverine. I'm not sure what which, who is your spirit <laughs> animal, but... Some days it's a roadrunner, and some days I think it's a wolverine. My spirit animal is a big, fat black bear that's full of berries and is going into his den to hibernate. So I have no business applying for elk in Alaska. Put it out there. When the list comes out and they show everybody's name, I can assure you, you will not see Randy Newberg's name on that list as applying for elk. That's good. Hey, did you know that if you're in Google and you type in what is my, the third thing that pops up on there is spirit animal? No way. You could could go in there and take a quiz and find out what your your real spirit animal is. Hmm. I think that might be depressing. Yeah, like right now, after eating too much over Thanksgiving, you know those great big slugs they have in Oregon, Washington, (laughs) and Alaska? They're about like six inches long and about an inch in diameter. That's my spirit animal right now. (laughs) (laughs) Not that that that's what I want to be, but that's just the reality of what I probably am. Um, I'm the same. I I ate a little bit too much over Thanksgiving. My workouts have slowed down a little bit, so I'm... I got to get back into it. Well, you know, a young guy like you, I'm sure you could burn that off in a day or two. But so after Alaska's done, then we move into Wyoming, and I'm sure we'll talk about it in more detail. But uh, did you hunt Wyoming last year? I didn't. They wouldn't give me, me a tag. Me either. So, yeah. I just I don't applied for the mean. regular tags. I didn't want to spend the $1,400 or whatever it costs to get the special tag now. Yeah. And evidently, I think I had, I don't remember, two or three points, but it wasn't enough to get the regular. So hopefully really? this year, I think we're probably going to look at applying for the regular general tag. And with the three or four points that we have, we should hopefully be able to draw it. Yeah. Well, if there's one thing that this, you know, there's all this scuttlebutt about Wyoming going to a 90-10, 90 residents, 10% non-residents. If there's one thing that that has done, 
it's lit a fire under a lot of high point holders to go burn their points. Yeah. Because you look at how many of these people were on the sidelines just buying points who last year, and even to some degree the year before, but last year especially, jumped in and units that were taking seven, eight points took 10, 11, 12 points. It's like, wow, let's get these people out of the system. Let Go burn your points. Let's, yeah. let's get back to something sane here. But I don't know how many years that'll take to to burn through those high point holders, but I guess we'll find out. Yep. So I'll no, I can't believe we're already we're already into uh, application season again here. Crazy. Seems like it's just like one big continuous perpetual <laughs> circle. Like we yeah. we go into planning application season, then we go into actual application season, and then we go into anticipation season where we're waiting to see what tags we draw. And then we find out what tags we draw or don't draw, and then we go into actual planning season, and then we go into e-scouting and scouting, and then we go into hunting. And now here and we it are. it starts all over again. Yeah, it's like a full-time job for a year just to try to keep yeah. up on all of this. Well, that keeps me busy and keeps me from being underfoot of my wife and it allows my marriage to last longer. So yeah, that, that's the way I look at it. Anyhow, <laughs> but she just, when, when I get kind of bothering her or getting on her nerves, she's like, don't you have some place to be hunting or some research to do or something? Get out of my hair. <laughs> okay, honey, let me go pull up my go hunt again and spend, I don't know how much time I, I wish I had a dollar for every hour I spent out there on that platform. I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd be, <laughs> uh, well, I don't want to say I'd be money ahead because I'd blow it all on hunting stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I spent, I spent a bunch of time out there the last couple of days as well. Idaho. So back to Idaho. Yeah. Uh, we got our first case of CWD last month. Oh, really? In yeah, deer we, or elk? In uh, mule deer, we had two deer that were right. shot uh, an hour and a half north of me hmm. that tested positive. And Idaho does just random, yeah, you know, not required. It's if somebody shoots an animal and wants to have it tested, they can do that, but it's never required. And so uh, somebody sent in some animals, or they were randomly tested, and hmm. two of them came back positive. So now. And I don't. I haven't. I haven't wrapped my brain completely around it yet. But they are opening an emergency hunt. Yeah. And they are going to kill off a bunch of mule deer and white-tailed deer, and require mandatory testing on them to see how widespread CWD is or might be. Yeah. Uh, and I forget how many tags are given out, but it's a pretty good lump of tags for. Uh, December, most of them are going to be antlerless, uh, but there's a handful of antlered tags or first come first serve. You have to stand in line at a regional office to buy them, and and then it's wow. only a, I want to say a 12 day season, but they can close it at any time once they get the the numbers they're needing. Yeah, well, we it sounds like you guys are just three or four years behind Montana because we had the same thing, and then they started testing a lot more across the state. Yeah. And they said, CWD is spreading like crazy. 
<laughs> well, no, I think we're just testing like crazy, yeah. which I'm all for, all in favor of testing. Uh, yeah. It just cracks me up when you read the newspaper headline, CWD rampantly spreading across Montana. No, nah, I think it's just been here. <laughs> we just started <laughs> just, testing it. Yeah. The testing is rapidly spreading. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, well, and that's well, what there's all the conspiracy theorists here that, you know, it was found right in the center of Idaho. I mean, you couldn't get any farther from borders than, than where it was right. found. And everybody's hmm. saying, well, it's how did it get to the middle of the state and not on the not on the edges? You know, if it's in Montana and Colorado, Wyoming, those places, it should have been found right on the borders there, and it's in the middle of the state. So somebody transported it here and planted it, and it's probably <laughs> anti-hunting. The same people that planted the wolves. I mean, just on and on. Now oh. we're just. Hmm. So, but yeah, I agree. It's we we've never mandatory you know, never had mandatory testing, so we don't yeah. know where it is or where it's spread from or spread to. And so yeah. I think uh, this mandatory testing, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they come back and say, okay, yeah, we do have an issue. There's, there's CWD. Yeah. Well, I hunt a lot in Wyoming and Colorado in units that they say, you know, high prevalence of CWD. There's probably a good chance I've eaten an elk or a deer that had CWD. So Yep. If I end up with some sort of brain dis uh, a disorder of my brain further than what I'm already at, <laughs> I was gonna say we can't base it on that. There's no, there's no baseline. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Some, uh, you know, in some states they say that people are quitting hunting because of concern about CWD. And then there was the report this year that a lot of the whitetails in the Midwest had COVID. Uh, when I was back in Minnesota for. Uh, helping my mom it was opening weekend of rifle deer season and the friday before season open uh tag sales to residents were down by five thousand over the year before and wow. i wonder is that because people are afraid that they're going to get covid from a deer and then my buddy jim heffelfinger is like no 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 it's not a transmissible thing it means they've been exposed to it da, da, da. you're not you're not going to catch COVID from a deer. Um, but I wonder if these disease things have always been there or are we just, or, I mean, there's really a couple options. They've always been there and we're just finding out because of our science being better and our understanding being better. Or maybe, yeah, they are just truly showing up now, but I yeah. tend to think they've probably been there for a long time. I agree. Yeah, we've actually in the same area. There was an elk a couple of years ago that had hoof rot. Really? Which, you know, that's a that's a coastal, <clears throat> yeah, that's Oregon a, Washington concern over there, and obviously yeah. it, it's transmittable and spreads pretty quickly. And they had you know, one there's no doubt that's what it was. I'm sitting in my office here, and I have on a whiteboard podcast topics. Number two on that list is hoof hoof rot. Really? But I can't find any experts on hoof rot that aren't, what would you say, hired by one side or the other. So <laughs> I'd like well, to I've... have a discussion on it. But for over a year, almost a year now, since I bumped into a couple guys at a trade show in Portland who really gave me their view of hoof rot, I have been trying to find an expert who can talk about this, but every name I'm, I've been provided seems to either be on one side of the debate or the other side. So, 
Hmm. I'd like to talk about it someday, but I just, I don't know anything about it. So I don't want to talk to somebody who's, you know, on team A or team B because you're not going to get probably the full scoop that way. So what are the teams just for those of us who aren't familiar with hoof rot? Yeah, it's a disease that's affecting elk heavily in the Mount St. Helens area of Southwest Washington and to some degree, Oregon. And it's kind of how the discussion has evolved from what I can see is that a lot of people are blaming the timber companies for the use of pesticides. And that somehow in these, where these timber companies come in, spray the landscape heavily with pesticides to allow I don't know, is it, is it pesticide or whatever it is to kill the other competing plants uh, to allow faster tree growth? There's a lot of people who say that's the problem. And I don't know. I, I'm not smart enough to know. Uh, <laughs> so you got people on that side and then you got people on the other side. Um, it's kind of like who, which side's going to win so they could blame their opponent. And I, I don't know if, you know, a lot of these things, when you dig down into them, neither side is right and neither side is wrong. There's often a lot more to it than what each side is saying. So uh, I know a lot of money is being thrown at it. Uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation has funded some science there. And, you know, here's here's another part to it. You fund some science and then the critics are like, well, we don't like those scientists. They're, they're <laughs> you know... <laughs> Get some different ones. Yeah. It's like, all right. Uh, it's like jury selection or something, you know? And since when do we select our scientists based on whether or not they agree with us? So, yeah. I don't know. It's, so, I'm just uh, out here on the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife website looking at it just as we were talking. Um, it says uh, it's known as Treponomy-associated hoof disease or Treponum, something like that. But uh, the research found that these abnormalities are strongly associated with bacteria yep. known to cause digital dermatitis in cattle, sheep, and goats. Yep. Uh, so it's a bacteria, it looks like. And yep. in cattle, they bring the cattle in and scrub their hooves and put a bandage on it, but you can't really do that for elk. No, good luck with that. So, oh. And then I should say there's a third team. The third team is the well. It was the sheep and cattle guys who are the problem. It's like, all right. <clears throat> I just don't know enough about it. I don't know if there's enough science out there yet to understand, but I know there there are some cases popping up in Washington, and someone told me there's even a couple cases that popped up in Montana. So hmm. some more of those conspiracy theorists, you know, they brought these yep. Mount St. Helens elk and dropped them off in Montana so that they could – spread hoof rot across the, the landscape so. yeah there's a bunch of them. they've got a map showing all the reported places where there's either dead elk with hoof deformities or limping elk and yeah, uh, yeah there's a bunch yeah and for me i don't want to get in a discussion that leads people to a certain point because there are biases of the people who are the purported experts yeah, I, I want someone who's just going to say, "Here's what we know, and here's what we don't know." Yeah, here's the problem as it exists today. Here's what we hope to find out. To me, that's more worthwhile than to just 
jump to a conclusion and start pointing fingers. So yeah. that's why it's been a delayed podcast. It's in fact, everything <laughs> else on my whiteboard is written in black, except that one's written in green because it's been on there for so long. My green <laughs> eraser marker dried up like eight months ago and I threw it away. So that's why that oh. one's still there on the, on the whiteboard. Well, I have a feeling we might get a, a couple comments and uh, maybe some suggestions for a guest or mm-hmm. something on this. So yeah. I'd love to have it. So, uh, let's see. Arizona. Arizona is going to come application deadline not too long after. uh, uh, Wyoming. Yeah. So, you going to apply this year? I don't think so. (laughs) I've got, you know, the, the problem is you get so many opportunities and options that start stacking up because of points in different places. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like I'm, I'm starting to get run over by a, by a tire that's rolling down a hill here. I've got a lot of points in Arizona. Mm -hmm. I've got even more points in Colorado. Mm -hmm. I'm getting back up some decent points in Oregon. I have uh, Wyoming, which, you know, we're wanting to draw the general tag there. So now I have to start looking at, okay, which which points do I want to start cashing in and in, in what order? And looking, there's a good moon phase next year. So we've got, you know, yeah. got that coming, and we can talk more about that on a future podcast. But I actually learned some really, really interesting stuff here recently that that I haven't shared with anyone yet that I'll oh. we'll, we'll do a podcast on it. But it has to do with the moon phase and with the uh, fall equinox and, and huh. a bunch of stuff. My my theory has been somewhat flawed. Not not by much, but there's a more accurate way of determining uh, the elk rut and when to plan your hunt. So we can we'll talk about that. But with that being said, there's there's definitely a good time frame for hunting during next season. The problem with Arizona is Arizona is kicked back to an earlier season for archery. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I don't want to draw the Arizona archery tag, you know, when it's closing on September 23rd or whatever it is next year. Mm-hmm. I want to draw it probably the next year when the season bumps back and in his later seasons. So All probably right. won't apply for Arizona, which means I can buy another point and be that much more guaranteed to, to draw a good tag. Uh, Colorado is one I just, I feel like I need to unload my points. I've got 18 points there for elk mm-hmm. and I'm in absolute no man's land. Just, yeah. you know, I can draw tags that take 10 points, but I'll never be able to draw the tags that are taking 22 or 23 points. So, right. Well, I'd say get rid of those points then. That's what I did when I had 19. I said, you know what? This bag of points is a heavy burden. I'm going to get rid of it. And off I went. So, But Arizona, Marcus just got back from one of the late November archery hunts, the spot and stock archery hunts. And uh, I talked to him. I'm like, well, how'd it go? And so he told me some close encounters he had. One was a really nice bull. And... He said, you know, as I was packing up camp, I was so frustrated with all the brush and the canyons and impossible, so noisy to spot and stock. He said, when I was packing up, I said, I'm never doing this again. What a waste of time and money and points. He said, on the drive home, by the time I got halfway home, I'm like, oh, man, next year when I apply for this. (laughs) So uh, I, I think... 
well, Marcus was one of those guys, like a lot of our listeners, who enjoy a challenge. And that's a challenge for sure. And you can draw it with far fewer points. I think Marcus yeah. had three, three points, I think he said, wow. when he drew that. So, uh, But I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm getting close to where I can draw another late rifle tag pretty soon. I mean, with a bonus point system, you might draw any year, but I'm almost yeah. to the point where I'm in that where the 20% of tags go to the high point holders. I'm getting close to that. So I, cool. I'll keep applying. I don't know if I'll draw, but I'll keep trying. So, yep. And then you're probably not going to forgive me, <clears throat> but I did see a bull elk on my billy goat hunt in one of those spots that I gave you and Donnie those coordinates. No, you did ago. not. I no. did. I don't yeah, even it. have it on camera. No there. <laughs> but it wasn't as high up as you guys went. Really? It was down, it was down lower. Yeah. And you saw it? Because where we went down low, it was all thick timber. We couldn't see hardly anything until we got up a little higher. Yeah. But no, hmm. it was in one of those little openings. And, was it uh, a big bull? No. It was raghorn. No. Okay. I don't feel quite as bad then. Okay. There, there had to have been some mature bulls in there. That was... There was, I, man, I still remember that mule deer track we saw that we followed it for quite a ways thinking it was a healthy elk. Yeah. I never well, did catch up with it. But. No, we didn't. The only mule deer bucks, oh, we did see a couple mule deer bucks. Well, I saw one dead one that a guy drug off the hill. We helped him load it in his truck one night. Uh, uh, yeah. Any wolves? My, what's that? Any wolves? Uh, no, but... Our buddy uh, Trail from Go Hunt, he was up there hunting in that general area, and they saw a black wolf, and he was a tightwad and didn't buy a non-resident wolf tag. Mm, man. Yeah. That's a bummer. <clears throat> I almost told him, Trail, you're not my friend anymore. So, <laughs> no. no, we had them uh, all around our camp there at the trailhead that one night, and they were howling for probably three hours out there. They were oh. both sides of the canyon, just echoing oh. all around us. Well, I think I don't think there's a lot of predation of mountain goats in November by wolves. Yeah. But for two reasons. One, I don't think a, a wolf would look at that terrain and say, ah, there's an easier place to get a meal than this. Yep. And when you see those things start bumping into each other and swinging their horns, those black pointy horns, it's like, you know what? A wolf could get hurt in this situation. <laughs> so I think they're smart enough to say, well, that, and then there's about 14 inches of hair on them. I don't know if a wolf has thick enough teeth to get through all the hair <laughs> down to where he could start doing any damage. Coughing up hairballs. <laughs> yeah, it'd be like trying to eat a pillow before you got to your peanut butter sandwich or something, you know? <laughs> I, uh, where do you come up with these things? <laughs> I don't know. It's what came to mind. <laughs> Eating a pillow before you get to a peanut butter sandwich. That's, that's an image. I mean, I can only imagine stuffing a peanut butter sandwich inside of a down pillow, but that's probably exactly what it's like trying to bite into a mountain goat. Well, at least the one that we skinned, when, you know how you do a dorsal cut on an animal? It would take you more time to part all the hair to get down to the leather and poke your knife in and you make a three or four inch cut and then your knife pops out and now you're there with your headlamp trying not to fall off the cliff and you got to do this again and again and again. I 
I am thankful for this. I shot a mountain goat in Montana in 1995, and I shot it in late September, and the hair was okay. But I always said, if I ever draw another mountain goat tag, I'm doing it in November because of the fur and the hair. And I always said I'd never have a full body mount until my buddy Bart got a full body mount of his November mountain goat. And what I've determined, if there's any animal at any time of the year that justifies a full body mount, it's a late season mountain goat. So we did a full body cape out on this thing. Nice. So, yeah. Very cool. But, you know, that has nothing to do with elk. Sorry about we've, that. We've bounced around quite a bit today. Yeah. <laughs> even what, even what? for Randy and Corey, we've <laughs> we've bounced around a bit. Yeah. What else do we have as random topics that we can fit in in the next 120 seconds? Oh, man. Uh, okay. Well, that's, yeah. I, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll throw one out there. Uh we're next Monday. We're drawing our winner for the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation's "Win a Hunt with Randy" thing. Oh man! And fingers crossed. I hope I get that. I've uh, got news for you, buddy. No, I You're mean, I hope enough. that the alias I entered the contest with <laughs> <laughs> gets that. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. But we'll draw that winner. They're going to get a huge gear package. But for all of you who entered. Thanks a ton. I think the entries run through this weekend, so this podcast probably won't get up in time, but they've raised even more money than last year. Uh, And if people really knew what it was like to spend a camp with me for five days, I'm sure there wouldn't be any entries, but I guess we kind of got them faked out, so what the heck? (laughs) We're raising money for conservation. And you get a huge gear package. So, And I was going to say, I've I've done these before, and it's a sacrifice on your part to to give up that time and do that. So thank you for being willing to sacrifice there and and do that for conservation, because I know it does generate a lot of... uh, interest to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation and and that helps all of us so from from the rest of us elk hunters thank you yeah and for all of you who were members and entered to become members during this thank you and if you're looking for a good Christmas gift for a family member a membership to the Elk Foundation is a pretty good Christmas gift so rmef.org go sign up and be a member yeah very cool. And uh, Elk Talk Podcast. The link is at <laughs> elktalkpodcast.com, right? Yep. So if you know an expert that is unbiased on hoof rot in elk, mm-hmm. be sure and send them there. Give us that recommendation because we'd love to have a good detailed conversation about some of the thoughts on the cause, some of the thoughts on the solution, some of, the, some of those things. So. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to give you and the audience as our last topic to think about and give us some ideas on. Marcus came in here to the whiteboard under podcast topics and wrote down hunting spot ethics. (laughs) That's where friendships get destroyed. Divorces happen. You think we should do a podcast on hunting spot ethics? I, I'm all for it. I think, you know, it's, I think there's a lot of new hunters that don't 
not on any fault of theirs, but just don't realize how um, how valuable a good hunting spot is to to other people mm-hmm. or to themselves. Because a lot of people, you know, are, are very open. Oh, I shot this this giant bull right up this drainage. He was right up on top. You know, they're they're freely giving it out, not mm-hmm. realizing how how close they should keep that. Uh, But then also, yeah, if somebody, you know, there's a lot of people that are new hunters and they team up with somebody that's got some experience and they go out to an area and, and maybe they tell them, you know, I'm gonna have to blindfold you. And if you ever bring somebody back in here, I'm going to kill you. And they think it's a joke type of thing. And, you know, they don't get the, (laughs) they don't get the real serious, Hey, this, this has to be top secret. I'm trusting you with, with yeah. something that's incredibly valuable here, but I think you know it, it'd be good to remind people. It would it might solve some debates or open some debates between hunting partners. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if nothing else, it would be entertaining to hear about some of the different dilemmas that yeah. those ethics cause on on hunting areas. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, go to the elktalkpodcast.com, Click on the contact us link. Is that it, Corey? Yep. Yep. And if you got some ideas or, or perspectives on, I'll, I'll add another one in there, hunting spot ethics, but also public land etiquette. You know, if someone is already on a spot, you see them sit in a water hole, don't wheel up there and set up next to them. You know, I think we got a lot of new hunters that, like you said, it isn't out of malice or wanting to be a bad person. It's just not knowing. You know, they're, they're new to the game. So I think between hunting spot ethics and public land etiquette, we could probably do an eight-hour podcast. <laughs> that's, that's if we stay focused and don't get drugged down any more rabbit holes. Yeah, well, we won't have another billy goat story to burn, waste most of our time. Sorry that's, about that. No, I like, I, you know, you, you started us telling us about grubby couple episodes ago so we had to have closure on that yeah well the thing i'm almost afraid to tell people but they're going to see it in the video is grubby had a buddy that wasn't as big in the body but might score better than him really but this guy was really leery of grubby so Hmm. i wonder if if someone's going to shoot him next year yeah but well, everybody who draws is going to be getting a hold of you now because they want to know where he's at. So that's all right. I, yeah. I you know, I'm, there's only two or three tags each year, so it's not like I'm ever going to draw again because I'm not applying again. <laughs> that's, I'm kind of that. the same with Alaska elk. Yeah. I'm more than happy to give you a, a GPS point. Yeah, and you're ten years younger than me, so that should <laughs> tell you about that Alaska elk thing, people. Uh, Wait, but you you need to put a warning on that video when it comes out in January or February. Caution: Do not apply for this tag again without adequate life insurance. Yep. Or no, it's like just. That. I mean, I, I think we've we've beat that dead horse a bunch, but it's, yeah. you, just, you can't. You, we aren't going to be able to convey in the video how miserable it was, how steep <laughs> it was, how wet it was. You know, just John couldn't video half the time because it was too steep and too dangerous. He had to have both hands on both trekking poles and still yeah. barely able to move. So it'll be. Uh, it's 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 going to be a good one. He's about three quarters of the way done, just doing the rough edit on it, and then uh, we had to take a break on that because Destination Elk is. Uh, we've got all the footage from that, and we're 
well into yep. editing on that and getting ready to launch that here towards the uh, the end of the year, first of the what? year. So, oh, you did, have you set a date yet for the launch? We haven't yet. I want to get a I want to get a few more episodes done. These episodes aren't just the normal rough cut, rough edit episodes. These are a polished production and. I've yeah. seen the uh, the first three episodes now, and they are. I'm excited. It's cool. Yeah, well, we've got we've got something here. I think I, I can tell you when you included me in it. It's destination grouse. <laughs> I mean, did you see how many grouse we smoked when we were out? Not on? yet. Not yet. Oh. I'm I'm still looking over 200. You know, the herds of 200 elk that you're hunting on opening yep. days. So. Yeah, we left there because there, were, there weren't any grouse out there. So we. Left. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I'm uh, I'm anticipating a tag being filled because with that many elk, I'm uh, well, we won't yeah. spoil things here. But well, we we got Michael and I did a twofer. We got two limits of grouse in the same day, and Dale was a camera guy, and he didn't bring his bow. We would have had a third limit of grouse, but Dale, with his long monkey arms with like a 38-inch draw length, was trying to shoot Michael's 28-inch draw length bow. And it just, it wasn't, a, you know, <laughs> Dale was at a serious disadvantage at low light trying to shoot someone else's bow that is a way shorter draw length. But if Dale <laughs> would have had his bow, we would have had a threefer. We'd have got three limits of grouse in one day. Man. That's some good. That's that's good dinner that night. Yeah, that that's right up there with shooting a a grubby billy goat, a limited grouse. So I'm 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 struggling to draw any comparison (laughs) at all there. Like I just I don't know. I'll just have to take your word for it. All right. People wonder why I buy your hundred and eighty or whatever dollar Idaho hunting license every year. Yeah. Because I can just hop over the border and shoot a limited grouse that day. <laughs> that gives you four I, more grouse each day. <laughs> yep. I get my, my money's worth out of that, even if I never get a deer or an elk. So, but, well, what do you say we let people go, Corey? Sorry it's that, uh, been a gap in the calendar, folks. It's all my fault. My schedule of, of life is a little bit frantic and hectic right now, but uh, thanks for hanging in with us. Yep. No, we'll uh, we'll do it again here, and I think we've got some good topics to chat about. And uh, I'm gonna leave here and head to the high school and climb on a bus for a four-hour bus ride to an away basketball game tonight. Wow. Good luck. Yeah. I'm glad yeah, it's thank you, you, not me. Uh, first game of the season. We'll find out. You asked me before the podcast if I had any predictions, and I learned a long time ago not to make any predictions about boys' high school basketball. So yeah. Kind of like hunting, you know, you brag about your shooting after the hunt, not before the hunt. Exactly. Because you might shoot over a billy goat three times in a row <laughs> and still stand there in disbelief. But, oh, and wow. still aim for the same point again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I'm consistently stupid, if nothing else. <laughs> uh, well, good awesome. luck, Terry. Thanks. Have a great day, Randy. Yeah. Bye. Bye.